And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, your host for today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things entrepreneurship, e-commerce, Amazon. Uh, Today, we're going to be going to be meeting with Joel Trammell. I'm super excited to have him on the show. Um, he's a CEO coach. We're going we're gonna to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about what it is to be a CEO and kind of go through his story. Uh, before we jump in, I introduce you to um, shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, uh, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. If you have a software need um, in this day and age where it's super hard to find talent, uh, Fullscale.io is the place to go. Um, they'll get you taken care of. Joel, welcome to the show. Glad to be with you, Andrew. Good to have you. Uh, we, you know, Joel's in Austin. I was just talking about the last time I was down there. I was trying to get away to like um, work on some some deep level projects and just be left alone there in Austin. And I showed up for the snowstorm. Um, so we were just chuckling over that. But uh, based out of Austin, Texas, Joel, you've done a lot of things. Um, decades as a CEO, author, um, speaker. I was looking at your ventures, you know, multiple ventures here. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background. I love starting the show, just getting to know the guests and sharing that with our listeners a little bit. Um, Did you always want to be a CEO? Did you just like kind of fall into it? Um, You know, let's start back at the earliest you want to start. Sure. Well, um, you know, my dad was a mechanical engineering professor, and so I was supposed to follow in his footsteps and I was a pretty good student, got an electrical engineering degree and took a job teaching for the United States Navy at what they call Naval Nuclear Power School. Okay. Uh, The job was, uh, you know, kind of a chance to try teaching, see if I liked teaching. A lot of people worked on their master's while they were in the military. So that was the plan. Uh, I loved the teaching aspect of the job, but I started taking a couple of graduate math courses and realized engineering was no longer my passion. Uh, I had met a couple of people, which we would now call entrepreneurs. In those days, we just talked about small business owners, but yep. but business people, one guy particularly who bought and sold businesses, uh, uh, met him when I was in high school. And so that had kind of kindled an interest in business. Uh, thought about going back and getting an MBA, but at the time they wanted me to take 60 hours of undergraduate business before they'd let me in the MBA program. And uh, as an arrogant engineer, I wasn't going to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, I decided, uh, well, I'll show them I'll start a business. And so at 25, I started my first business. And then uh, as often happens, you kind of become unqualified to do anything else. You better figure out a way to make it work. Uh, And uh, that was started the journey over 30 years ago. What was that first business? Well, that uh, that will really date me. So um, the first thing I did was I bought uh, parts for five computers and uh, put them together. White box PCs back in the day when you kind of built your own stuff mostly. Okay, awesome. can we talk about a date there? Because I'm I'm only I'm only 34. My listeners know that, but my claim to fame is my dad didn't teach me cars. My dad didn't teach me a lot of the things I guess that normal dads pass down. But we I was building computers like the you know the big the the home desktops that were just starting to come home. Um, yeah. It was so much cheaper to build them. You could get a, right. a, a lot better machine. And yeah. um, so I was never intimidated by tech or computers because my dad pushed me into that. Um, wh- when was that? Yeah, so that was like 1990. Okay. Um, and uh, sold those computers, but then quickly realized that kind of there were a lot of people like me that kind of wanted to be in the computer business, were techie types, but didn't really know how to get into business. And this is, of course, pre-internet. So you you could go to the bookstore and find some book about starting a business that was written for plumbers or mm-hmm. real estate people or whatever. There was just not a lot of knowledge. Uh, Prodigy was the internet service that was just getting started at the time, which was a cooperative endeavor between IBM and Sears that was going to bring the internet to the consumer. 
Uh, were we doing floppy disks to get that internet back then? Uh, we... Well, we had some hard drives, but okay. uh, yeah. I feel like there was a floppy, like, you know, you were getting the AOL internet. Well, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. They would send you the floppy drive to load the program. Yeah, Prodigy. Right. I, I yep. feel like I remember that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first hard drives I sold were 40 meg hard drives. Uh, you know, big 40 meg hard drives. And, and you were uh, getting those from China or just like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Western Digital uh, was the manufacturer who's still around today. Okay. Uh, and actually they had a... They had a spindle and, and they had a bug in that particular, uh, the first set. And occasionally you'd have to take off the little spindle and turn it to get the hard drive working again. <laughs> a very different world that we live in today. No, uh, I love her living it just because, uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm just lucky that at a young age, I was getting to, you know, play with the big, the big floppies or whatever we call those. I can't even remember the ones that were the bigger ones. And yeah, the five, uh, five and a quarter and three. Yeah, and a half. the five yes. and a quarter. And uh, I'm not that old, but I was just like, dad, dad had some of the first computers. So I was, you know, yeah. playing Doom and uh, some of those old ones, you know, before PC came out. So you actually had to take them off and twist them kind of, <laughs> you're working through customer service. Um, and how are you selling them? Uh, so Prodigy was the first time that you could take a classified ad, uh, and it reached all across the country for free. Okay. And so we started taking out ads. Hey, you want to start your own computer business? Uh, send, give us your, uh, physical address and we'll send you a packet of information on how to do that. Uh, and then we, sent off, sent some information to them along with a price list for them to buy parts through us. So we served as a kind of mini distributor for a aggregator for a bigger distributor um, out of Atlanta at the time. And so we built initially this network of uh, com small computer dealers who would order, you know, one or two PCs a month mm -hmm. uh, from us and we'd ship them out. And every month we'd update the price list because of course prices changed. In those days they were constantly, you know, going down every month was cheaper. Uh, and so you had to be careful. You didn't want to hold on to inventory because your inventory lost, you know, significant value. Uh, but you could take advantage of that. If you sent out a price list that was good today and somebody ordered 30 days later, uh, that was a positive. You love that. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> your price had probably dropped. And so it was a simple arbitrage play uh, as a distributor. And so uh, that was the first business I did. And I did that for a few years. And of course, you know, as those prices came down, when I started, the average price of a new PC was probably somewhere $2,300, $2,400, uh, significant purchase. Uh, three or four years later, it had already dropped to $1,300, $1,400. And so the 5% kind of margins we could get out of the business, suddenly you were worried about how much cost the box was and the tape to ship, mm -hmm. ship stuff, right? And so I ended up selling that business and, uh, and then doing uh, some local computer services uh, business uh, and networking business. Uh, so your first business, you started at 25 and you exited. And I exited. Yes. Not for any great score for about, okay. uh, you know, two times profit. Uh, you know, I was making 30 or 40,000 a year doing that. And I think I sold it for 80,000. Okay. But that's, I mean, at a, at a young, that's pretty young age in my mind, um, you know, to go through that process. Yeah, it was certainly, you know, learned a tremendous amount, had to do all aspects of the business. And again, it's hard to appreciate, I think, for entrepreneurs today that I couldn't, you shouldn't just go on the internet and find out how to do accounting. You couldn't just go out on the internet and find out how to do marketing. You could, And so, you, you know, you kind of had to piece it all together yourself. Yep. I feel like that's a little bit how it is in the e-commerce space right now, as it's like, like being pioneered. Um, there's information out there. Uh, and I mean, this is a crazy time. You can almost find anything out there, uh, but you can also find false information too, right? right. Like that's something that uh, I think not enough people pay attention to. You can stumble across stuff, you know, and it doesn't mean it's factual. For the longest time, I wanted to put out content pro Amazon because I was helping all these young entrepreneurs or like I say young as in the business was young, um, grow on Amazon in the early days. I've been doing this nine years. Um, and it was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm the only one that knows about it. When I go out there and look online, everything is negative. It's coming from Facebook ads people or website ads people or businesses that have been burned and don't understand it. And I, I just felt all this false information online that I was like, I felt a need to like put out content that was uh, on the contrary, you know, to what was out there. Um, so it can go back and forth. We have information everywhere, but now we have to validate it more. Than yeah. Now we've got enough. the opposite problem. We've got to curate to find the good stuff. Okay. So what, what, so then you went to service based, like repairing computers or setting them up networks, things like that. 
Exactly. At one point, I was one of the larger Lantastic dealers, which was a uh, competitor to Novell, if you go back that far in the networking game, okay. a little peer-to-peer -peer networking. So you'd have an office that had five computers, and typically they wanted to share a big laser printer and, and you know, share some files back and forth. And That was so hard. I, yes. uh, <laughs> I want to talk about that for a second because I got my degree in computer science from a school that's not super computer science forward uh park university here in kansas city they have a department but it's not like it is today you know if you go to school in it um you know i was running networks and um uh you know doing programming on paper even it was crazy c plus plus and c sharp and java um, but the net i have a degree in networking and security got a job at mastercard uh in a knock kind of like you did in engineering um, and I just, it wasn't for me. I was making more money and I never made, um, and I hated it. And then, and, and, you know, I just, I, I moved into e-commerce. I took a big leap and just like changed careers kind of like you did as an engineer, I would say. Um, but you know, I, uh, gr I grew up in Africa and, um, probably I came back from Congo in the, uh, December, 2001, um, at 16 years old, but, you know, I grew up with computers and things like that. I was running networks for like mercenaries in Congo. Like my dad would bring me wow. over to these guys' house, these pilots or whatever. And they'd be like, we need to network these four computers. Or, uh, you know, we ran internet off a satellite back then, you know, in the late 90s. You'd have a big mm -hmm. satellite out on the compound and late at night you'd get faster stuff. So I was, I was using like Wingate and all of these like... Uh, old software programs, you had to do everything manually. And, um, you know, uh, I'm losing some of the vernacular around some of that even I haven't sure. used it enough. But uh, that's what I went to school for. I remember I was hacking this stuff like, at, at a young age, um, the complexity is crazy. Uh, now it's plug and play. For right. the most part, you now, know, now most people don't understand any, how any of that stuff works because they don't have to. You just put it in, it works. You just plug it in and it finds an IP address, assigns it one, it's got a range to choose from. You know, you're in there, you're not doing all these subnets and uh, <laughs> you know, crazy stuff anymore. Um, but yeah, setting up five computers in a printer was like a big deal. I mean, you had to yeah. have help, you had to have help, yeah, that, yeah. So that was uh, that was what I did for a while and uh. Then, uh, you know, I was fortunate I married the right woman who's uh, way smarter than me. She's a 4.0 PhD from the University of Texas in electrical engineering. Okay. And uh, so she married had done, up. yeah, married up and uh, she had done a bunch of work. Uh, her first job out after the Navy, that's where we met, was in the Navy. But her first job after that was working for Schlumberger, giant oil field services company who at the time had one of the largest networks in the world because they were in all those godforsaken places like the Congo uh, trying to drill for oil. And when you drill for oil, you do a lot of seismic testing, you collect a lot of data, and they wanted to ship that data back to their supercomputing centers for analysis and do that relatively quickly. And nobody had really managed a wide area network from a performance perspective prior to that. Yeah, people kind of understood getting the ones and zeros to transmit, but how does performance impact? How, when you click a mouse, you know, here it has to go to a server. How does all that interact and, and what, you know, drives network performance. And uh, so she got to spend about three or four years with the keys to their uh, global network as a PhD uh, and, and help them develop some tools and techniques. And so we took that knowledge and, and started a business that we funded in, uh, in early 2000. Okay. Called NetQOS. That was a network management uh, business. Is that is that the one? And forgive me, I'm not. I don't have it pulled up right now. Um, but of the top twenty five, you had seventeen or eighteen are, are your current clients. Yeah. So, so we had yes. At that, we have the Fortune twenty five at NetQOS. We ended up with seventeen or eighteen of them as our clients. Because that's impressive. We had we had the best solution. The bigger your network was, the more complex it was the more we became the only ones who could give you real information about how to manage it. Yep. I get that. I, uh, you know, just to put it out there, I feel like that's where Marknology is as a company in, the, in this Amazon space. The more complicated it gets, the more advanced it gets, the more holistic you're trying to get with your e-commerce. Uh, there's less and less players um, that are out there to compete. I think one of my biggest competitors rolled up uh, and, and, and sold his company today. I think it announced yesterday. Wow. Um, there's just less and less of us to go around, you know, that have the expertise around an emerging space. So I can relate to that. Not in the same way. I don't think it's at the same size, um, but can definitely relate to 
um, if you're at this level and you need this kind of help, there's just not a lot, there's not a lot out there. Yeah, that was the, the thing. We just understood the problem. I mean, I used to tell people we had more expertise about network performance walked in and out of my building every day at the peak than existed in the rest of the world combined. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that. I relate to that confidence when you know, you just know, you know, you're like, this is just how it is. It's just the facts. Um, okay. So that was obviously a success. Did you sell the service-based business or did it just evolve or did I skip over that? Yeah, we sold, I sold off the service-based business guy that worked for me, took it over, you know, okay. uh, and, and this became a much, when it was, became obvious, this was going to be a much bigger opportunity. Awesome. Okay. And then, so you're there, um, that business is still, is that still your business now? No, we, okay. uh, we started in 2000, uh, sold it in 2009, built it from, uh, as a pure software uh, business, built it from zero to 60 million in revenue. Uh, sold it to the company formerly known as Computer Associates uh, for two hundred million in two thousand nine. Wow, that's um, that's incredible. What came after that? So then, uh, actually, about three days after uh, we sold the business, I got a call from a local venture capitalist who said, "Hey, do you do you want to come help me with a, be CEO of a company that we funded?" I said, "Well, you know, we just sold three days ago. I feel like I need to hang around a little bit." And, make sure the transition, but I'll go take a look. And I went and took a look and uh, the company was kind of a disaster. They had tried to build a product, um, but they had built it on, tried to build it on custom hardware and software at the same time, which is a daunting mm. problem. Uh, never really shipped a product, uh, never really got any traction, had an interesting idea. Uh, I said, thanks, but I don't need a job that bad right now. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I was going to bring that up. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I just made some money here. I can take my chances. Well, about four or five months later, uh, he called me back and he said, hey, you know, we shut the company down. But one of the founders, who I think is a pretty good guy, thinks he can buy the assets back from the bank cheap. And he, he wants to talk to you. Would you talk to him? And I said, OK, sure, I'll have a conversation. So he came in. He convinced me that he could get the team, the key developers back, that the key mistake they had made was building it on custom hardware and that we could go to, you know, kind of commodity hardware and, and you do everything in software that needed to be done. And so, you know, I wrote a check to, to buy the assets from the bank for, I think it was $50,000. It was not wow. a lot. They, they had dumped about 20 million in venture capital money into the project. Uh, and so we bought it, restarted it. Uh, and about 22 months later, uh, NetApp, uh, the company came along and needed the technology desperately, uh, so desperately that they were willing to pay us $100 million for a company that Ooh. generated 450000 in the first quarter of selling Ooh. the product. Wow, that's incredible. Um, talk about an opportunity, you know. Sometimes um, you're just standing in the road and the money truck, you know, shows up. Uh, sometimes you get lucky. I love that. I love that. I'm, I deal a little bit in real estate. I am, I've bought, acquired a couple small e-commerce companies lately, kind of the same situation, someone trying to get out of them or, you know, um, and Marknology is essentially a digital construction crew for, for e-commerce and Amazon. So, you know, acquiring a brand, rebranding it, photography, SEO, you know, social media content creation, website, like that's what we do. So it's like rebuilding a house almost. Um, and I'm hoping a couple of these like turn into some of that, just having fun with it. Um, but you know, taking these opportunities and being like, what can come of it? What can we do with it? It's been, um, that's where I'm going into next. Yep. It, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much is luck and how much is skill, but I hope I stay lucky. Hey, whatever. I think you make your own luck, you know? So, okay. So that one was, um, a little bit easier than the last nine years. Yep. Right. Um, what's next? Yeah, so then I uh, got really interested in the role of the CEO. I was chairman of what they call the Austin Technology Council. Uh, so I started teaching a course for CEOs, uh, launched, a, wrote a book called The CEO Tightrope uh, that provides kind of a systematic methodology for thinking about the role of the CEO. Okay. And then launched a software company uh, called Chorus uh, that built a software platform for CEOs. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, Tell me about that. Yeah, unfortunately, no one was looking for a software platform for CEOs, it turned out. So we were very early to the game and maybe still early to the game. So that one has not been a, a, a rousing success. At this point, uh, 
we still offer the software to people mostly for free. Actually, uh, we do some consulting and services around it if people want help. Uh, but it, it it gets around my view of how to run an organization at scale. Uh, there's yeah. a you know there's a fair amount of information now about doing startups and 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 kind of getting to minimum viable product and getting started. Uh, but there's not a lot of thought and information that you can read of how do you take a company, you know, at 100 people, 200 people and north of that bigger. And how, how what's the CEO's job? What are they supposed to do? Uh, I think that's very poorly understood. I, I tell people the CEO role has not been professionalized in the same way that many other roles in the organization have been professionalized. I mean, obviously, accounting is a role that's been very professionalized. There's a whole set of standards. Everybody knows what a CFO does. Mm-hmm. Uh, sales even, sales in over my career, I'd say when we started 30 years ago, sales was not professionalized. It was mostly a bunch of guys with Rolodexes making phone calls and that was it. But now you talk to a exec, senior sales exec, they've got you know process, they've got metrics, they've got analysis. They There's a playbook that they're Automation. Yes. Yeah, I'm yes. building that out currently in my business. I've always done the sales, at least the closing. I've got my first guy. He's taking maybe 25% of my, my leads now. Um, and we're starting to try to build a playbook, you know, as far as like how, you know, when does this email go out? When does this email go out? Like if, if this is their problem, here's a solution we provide. Um, it's a lot of work. Uh, yes. You know, yes. I mean, I, I think the role of a CEO, at least for me in a business that's, you know, sub 2 million in revenue um 15 people uh has been just like going into each of these areas and it i think it depends on who's on your team right oh, sure. like all as well like what role you're doing um what do you have to work with who's on your who's on your ball team so to speak um and and who can you put where and for me i feel like uh i'm i'm the person on our team that can kind of go into a new area and, and systemize it or process it um, you know, I can do anything. I'm a blue collar guy more than anything. And like, you know, just, uh, I'm more about putting my shoulder to the plow than I am like rising above it sometimes. Um, and that's been a challenge for me, but really going into these different areas, whether you know them or not, and, and, and trying to process it, trying to systemize it, trying to professionalize it, I guess, um, for someone to come under you, at least like, that's the simplest way I could say, you know, what I'm trying to work on is like, okay, as I'm creating this new business that doesn't necessarily exist, there isn't really a model for Amazon agencies. It's different than marketing It's different than advertising, because you've got logistics, you've got tax, you've got accounting, you've got profitability analysis, you have all these things in an Amazon business. Um, how do I how do I package this? You know, how do I package this for someone yeah, so- else to come into? Yeah, so let's talk about what is a business. Um, that's where I usually start with CEOs is, is what's a business. And we'll fumble around for a little while, but you usually end up with something that sounds like this. You know, business is some group of people that provides a product or a service uh, to a market uh, for the benefit of customers, employees, and shareholders. And, and really, there are kind of what I call two ty- triangles of tension there that the CEO is constantly managing. There's customers, employees, and shareholders. Uh, who all are in tension with each other, right? Customers mm-hmm. would like things for free. Employees would like infinite pay. Uh, shareholders would like to get all the profits, but they can't, Correct. right? You, you, and, and so as a good CEO, you're balancing between those three demands all the time. And then internally, there's typically a, ba- a tension that exists in almost every business I've seen between the product or service you provide, whatever it is, that thing that you sell, the sales group and the marketing team. And so you look at those six areas of the business and when you're zero to probably 25 employees, yeah, you may be the CEO, but you're probably also the chief executive of every one of those areas too. Mm -hmm. And you're probably spending more of your time being the sales exec, the marketing exec, the finance exec, the HR exec, the customer exec, (laughs) all those positions, right? So what, but when you go from about 25 to, you know, 100, 150 employees, from that stage, you need to have handed off all of those executive roles. And at 100 to 150, there becomes this full-time CEO role where you're doing managing the white space between those six areas now. Because right now, you don't have to manage that white space because it all happens in your head. You can have a meeting with the executive team sitting alone in your, in your communication office. communication right? piece. Yes. And so it's all there. There's no problem with alignment. But once you get a sales guy in who's really the sales executives making all the decisions around sales, 
uh, that's great. He's probably better than you at sales, but he does not have the whole contextual vision of all six areas in his head at one time. And so there becomes this role uh, of a professional CEO to, to organize those, get everybody on the same page and rowing in the same direction. Yes, sir. That's well said. So, okay, let's keep going just because I think there's more to your story than where we're at. We talked about <laughs> the software company and yep. we talked about, um, you know, a software platform for CEOs. Yeah. Um, what else? So th then I was doing some board work, uh, was on the board of a public uh, IT services company. And uh, as tends to happen with boards, uh, things didn't go so well. Uh, the company was struggling. The company owed the bank $165 million and the bank wanted their money back. Uh, I went to a board meeting and uh, thinking, okay, we got some problems, but you know, we'll work through them. Um, by the end of the uh, dinner the night before the board meeting, the board had decided to fire the CEO. And I was the only one sitting around the table that wasn't already collecting social security. So I got voluntold that uh, maybe I would be a good candidate <laughs> to take on the role. And so I got to spend a couple of years uh, dealing with, uh, trying to sell uh, and, and salvage the assets of a, of a struggling public company. Uh, and so that was a, you know, a very different, big, bigger different role situation. in some ways, different situation, different situation. Uh, you know, not uh, a You're situation a of my making. Yeah. Yes. Not, not on a winning team, uh, you know, constant firefighting, not the way you'd like to do the job, but uh, it was certainly a, a great learning experience to see uh, the job at a, in a different situation. Do you like, and this is just maybe a personal question, but um, as an individual, would you say that you like more like building and creating things like as a, in a role of like, you know, business dev or CEO, or, or is it more like problem solving? That's your passion. Yeah, I'm all about the team. And so I like building the team. Uh, and so it's tough sometimes when you step into a situation, you know, that you didn't build the team, yep. uh, it takes a while. And, you know, typically some people don't make it. Some people aren't the right people. They don't want to go on your journey. Uh, you got to add some people and that whole process, you know, often takes a year or two to really get a team, uh, c consolidated around your vision. Yeah. I had, um, uh, a gentleman named Michael Epstein on the podcast a few months back. And uh, similar story, you know, he had had a successful exit, um, got on a, uh, was hired on at a VC uh, firm. Uh, they invested in a big company um, and it was uh, auto anything. They were doing, uh, you know, um, I think nine figures uh, on that site, which is pretty big, a pretty big e-commerce business. They were a part of AutoZone um, and it was failing. They had like several hundred employees and our conversation was almost all around culture. Um, and just like, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think he had to let like 50% of them go. He interviewed all of them. He spent months talking to all of them, getting the buy-in, you know, on were they going to be willing to make this culture change that they needed to make. Um, and I have yet to be a part of anything. I love team building. I, we call like, you know, we call each other family at work, you know, and I know there's advice against that or not, you know, but we're like a tribe. And, uh, you know, we don't have anyone working here that the rest of the team doesn't want to be there. We almost we almost hire by consensus. And because I believe it's all about um, chemistry, you know, it's all about chemistry. Um, it's all about creating together, being on the same page. Um, you know, some of the things I hated worse when I was working in corporate jobs as an e-commerce manager at MasterCard or I had these people on my team that didn't want me to win and I didn't understand why. I'm like, we're right. a team. I, I, you know, yeah. I had people double checking my work that shouldn't have been checking my work. I had uh, people that were, you know, programmers that were holding back feed files for me that I needed to upload product just because they wanted to control the thing. You know, I had all these, these people on my team I had no control over and it made me hate my job, even though I didn't hate my job. Right. And, um, you know, as a CEO, I'm a fourth generation preacher's kid. So I come from a little bit different background, but they are leaders and they do build teams, you know, and, right. um, you know, taking some of that to the business I've built at Marknology, um, culture has been at the forefront. It's been, it has been less about what I know exactly I want and more about, I don't want this. I don't want people that hate working next to Jimmy or, or next to Karen or next to Phil or whoever, you know, I want a team that's, um, collaborative and cohesive and, and we're on the same mission. Um, 
that's been I'm in the people business is how I feel. Um, you know, so I'm I'm very much in alignment with you around that. I don't know that I would say, hey, I just like building teams yet. I think it's a big part of, of what I love to do. Um, you know, I think I'm a curator. I, I just, uh, I'm not necessarily the, the best artist myself, but I can spot good talent, um, you know, and, and bring them in. That's why I brag on my team. I think my team is, um, you know, is top tier. And they've all been handpicked almost by each other, not just myself. Um, you know, to be on your team. If this person is going to help you either give you more work or less work, you better pay attention to who's joining the team. You know, if they're not <laughs> pulling their weight, you're going to pull it for them kind of thing. Yep. Um, okay, so so you, you went with option three. I didn't put uh, team building as an option. I put uh, <laughs> creating or maybe creating a team. We'll, we'll put it more. Yeah, yeah, creating, yeah. creating the team and the organization. I mean, I they used to laugh at me when we were at NetQOS. We had 31 consecutive quarters of double-digit year-over-year growth. So wow. we were constantly... Uh, you know, burning and churning. And I walked around with 11 by 17 sheet that was double sided that had everybody in the org chart, what positions we were going to fill next and was constantly because almost every, you know, decision I had to make had some organizational implications. Right, right. No, I'm 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 living that life right now, Joel. Um, you know, I'm uh, we went through a pandemic. I'm in e-commerce. Um, <laughs> there's only 200 companies that do what I do and half of them are rolling up. All those 200 were not all created equal. We're in double digit growth, you know, uh, year over year, month over month, uh, for three years. Um, you know, it's been, it's just the people, 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 but at the same time I'm bootstrapped. Um, so there is no board, there is no investors, um, you know, done it, done it myself, but just constantly thinking, who do we need? Where, where do I need to put my attention? Um, you know, are we doing it right? Should I be outsourcing or using VAs like all these other companies? Um, you know, people, 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 almost to the point where sometimes I hide away so I don't overwhelm them all, right? Just with <laughs> like, uh, you know, with what's going on. You can't sure. tell the people doing the work, hey, we're about to double again and get them excited about it, you know, when you're about yeah. to bring in the work. So very much at a much smaller scale, but I'm I'm living that life. I'm living that life. Yep. I tell people the only, you know, a lot of people think you grow businesses by sales. Yes, sales over the very short term. But over the long term, the only way you consistently grow a business is master the ability to find and make productive, talented people. Correct. Last year, I, I kind of got hit in the nuts, so to speak, um, and a, a competitor, um, all these VCs. So basically, there's a very big uh, uh, fund A or um, Series A uh, for a company called Thrast.io. They uh, IPO'd for almost a billion dollars. Um, they, they raised a bunch of money, went out and bought a bunch of Amazon brands. It's the first in like my space to do that. They kind of set this roadmap and during the pandemic, there's nowhere to put money. All these VC companies are just looking at what we do as this like gold mine, so to speak. And so if they want to build businesses on Amazon, they need an agency like us, so to speak, to do the work. So you can have all the money in the world. If you don't have the talent, you can't do anything. Um, and so, you know, New York firms, they're getting a hundred million dollars in investment. Uh, I'm here in the Midwest, bootstrapping my my growth as a small business. Uh, I can't keep some of my employees, you know, if they're getting offered twenty, thirty thousand dollars more. Um, you know, it's just like that's the game that that you're in. Uh, but it became just like, how do I cultivate people? How do I get talent here? How do I keep them? How do I, you know, incentivize them? Um, you know, I'm trying to build a team, not, not replace them every single year, like a farm club, like the Royals right. used to be, right. you know? So, uh, you know, that's what we were. We we're a farm club yeah. for other teams. I'm not trying to be a farm club for these big agencies with talent right. and money, you know? Yep. No, that's a, that's a big concern for sure. Um, so this is all good stuff. This is good stuff. Okay. So where were we? Oh, uh, well, so we, we, we got to the public company sold and, and off my plate, uh, and uh, we made we bought a couple of software companies along the way for for my private equity firm, and we're about to get the last one of those sold off as well. You just uh, dropped private equity firm, but what does that mean? You didn't well, that, that one. Yeah, that means we, you know, uh, raise money from people, and a lot of it was my own money to go buy a couple of uh, uh, two or three existing companies. Uh, tr- believing we can operate them better, change them, grow them, whatever, and then sell them down the road to somebody else. And uh, so we've done that. Uh, we're about to close on the last company we owned in that in that fund. 
Um, and you so stick to a specific type of business, like around software? Software, yeah, enterprise software. Uh, okay. that, that's the area that I feel like I have some expertise. You got to be very careful just because you've run a business doesn't mean you can run any business. Mm -hmm. um, there, I always say you got to really understand deeply as CEO, you got to deeply understand how the product or service is made or delivered if it's a service. And you got to uh, uh, kind of deeply understand the buyer of the product or service. And so enterprise software uh, is where I've, you know, kind of made my career. And so I think I understand that, but I couldn't be a, I would not be a good B to C jewelry company CEO. I don't understand that market, you know? Well, I, I'm sure with a little bit of a learning curve, you'd be just fine. Let's be honest. <laughs> but uh, um, no, there is a learning curve and I get that. You know, I think one of my, um, my strategies growing this business, I think I was honestly too early. Uh, not enough businesses were, were buying into what I was selling as a service. It's, it's like a new pioneered right. space, right? I was almost too early. Now they're catching up. I'm having more fun now that we're making some money. Uh, you know, now that people are like valuing what we do. Um, but it was like, I had a really hard time before I had that, the business acumen to even tell a mentor or, or, um, you know, anyone in that space about what we do to get advice, because, you know, that understanding around the service and around the customer that I'm selling to, I knew it, but I had a hard time communicating exactly what it was and everyone kind of bringing advice to me or kind of saying this model, this model, I'm like, you don't understand the service that I'm offering and right. you don't understand my customer. And they'd be like, well, who's your customer at that time? It was all over the place. Right. When I was, you know, I had the customer here, customer here, wholesaler here, big brand here. I have Adidas. I've got, you know, um, hundred million dollar businesses now. And I also have a uh, hundred thousand dollar businesses. Right. So right. It's, it's, it's a gambit. And um, for the longest time, that was a really hard topic for me to kind of wrap my head around was um, being able to very clearly articulate uh, the service and, um, and, and the customer. Yeah, that's the, you know, zero to 25 stage is all about, uh, you know, the, the matching product market fit, right? And figuring out what it is you're the best at and what it is that the customer wants and making those two somehow go together. Do you think it's all tied into employee count or do you think that's just like kind of generic gauge? Yeah, that's a generic gauge in most kind of knowledge. You know, I just feel like around software and kind of the space as we're evolving, like the people like, you know, you can get softwares that replace five people or replace 10 people or, you know, so it can kind of like, you know, I've got a competitor in the space that might have 40 employees. We have 15. He's got 40 VAs doing one thing for one client, uh, you know, just repeatable things. Um, you know, so I'm like at that level, is it like the next tier or, you know, I just, I just, just guess I was guessing. Um, you it's know, a lot. Lean. It's a lot kind of the human communication factor. Most of us can maintain on a daily basis communication with 20, 25 kind of people. Uh, once you get to 50, 75, you're not engaging in any meaningful way on a regular basis. And so then there become communication aspects to the job about culture. Like when you're at 20 people, you don't need to talk about your culture because people see it. They experience yeah. it. They're dealing with you every day. It's like mom and your mom and dad of the family. Uh, you don't need to give your kids a speech. If they do something you don't like, you slap them upside the head. And if the, the worst thing you can do is give a speech about these values and then exhibit different values. Correct. Right. So you might as well keep your mouth shut for <laughs> at that point. But when you get 40, 50, 100, now all of a sudden, a lot of the people in the business are not engaging with you on a regular basis. They're not seeing those values. They're not experiencing uh, what it is that made the company unique. And so at that point, you have to make a much more formal effort to quantify and, and document what the culture is and tell stories and make sure everybody's on board and, and all those things. Well, yeah, that's, that's great, great feedback. And um, like I said, you're walking my street, I guess, you know, um, going, we went from three employees to, you know, 15 and then 12 in India um, doing different things, you know, over, I, I, you know, I guess they're, they're part of our team, um, you know, in different ways, the communication, uh, you know, if you, that was one of the main things that I think I learned as an entrepreneur that I've been lacking or that I lacked was communication skills. I thought I was good. Um, no, not even at all. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it can be, I can do podcasts like this. I mean, I'm on, I've been working 12 or 15 hour days for 
as forever, as long as I can remember, even before I got into e-commerce, I just uh, like to work. Um, and, uh, you know, you can go eight hours communicating, creating content. I'm the main thought leader. I'm putting stuff out there, um, you know, at the head of the company, like, you know, PR, doing all that stuff yourself. You're becoming your own media company these days. Um, and then I still have to have time to communicate with my team yes. and have energy to do it and bandwidth to do it. And um, it's been a lot of swing and miss um you know trying to figure that out we've lost employees we've lost clients we've had client churn um because we're you know the account manager is not communicating back and uh i used to talk to all these clients you know in the early days like i would sure. get on an account call and talk to them and make sure things are good and pat them on the back and you know uh give them that confidence speech like we're gonna grow and uh i don't i don't talk to any of them on the day-to-day -day anymore you know right. and that was a huge 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 um hurdle right you know yep that that's the challenge you you're gonna have to hand off all of those actual things until you're the ceo and you do nothing <laughs> that's, uh you know that's the goal i think every time i get like i hand off some stuff i just grab a lot more uh <laughs> you know i'm just like okay now now i need to do this and i feel that space um no this is great and, and um I'm, I'm i feel like i could talk to you all day about some of this stuff just like um it's, it's really just the mindset around it and the leadership and what should you be focusing on? And there's no one there telling you, um, this is what's important today. This is what's important over the next year. Uh, you know, this is what you should be focusing on here. Here's the biggest, uh, low, lowest hanging fruit and you know, where you're spending your time. Um, it comes down to you, it comes down to you. Um, you know, you can read, you can talk to mentors, um, but there's no one really that knows your business like you know your business um, right. you know and being able to hand off that control uh is just these are like challenges that if you're not i didn't start at 25 uh, i think i did start at 25 actually personally uh, i started around 25 um with marknology but um these aren't things that you know uh if you don't have a business-minded dad or a mentor or you don't have people like this that are kind of feeding you you're learning these things for the very first time you're learning how to communicate um, at a high level. You have to get more direct. You have to be less long-winded. You have to be able to have hard stops. You got to be able, uh, you know, all these these things that you don't even know. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for entrepreneurship because it's forced me to grow as a as a man, as a human. Um, you know, in my relationship, just even being able to communicate at a better level um, wouldn't have done it if business hadn't pushed me. Yeah, the CEO job is very personal. If you have personal issues, uh, they're going to show up in mm. uh, leading the organization. And so, you know, I tell people I want everybody to view me as authentic and transparent, but there's a burden with being authentic. If I'm an authentic pain in the rear, uh, that's not going to be very successful. So I got to fix all the problems with me so I can be authentic. Uh, and then people will still engage with that and, and, and follow me. Joel, I love that. Um, the authentic piece, like that's my, that's at my core. Um, you know, being authentic is very, very, very important to me and in, in the, in the company and the culture. And you're so, so right about, um, you know, these things get accelerated or get exaggerated or get, um, blown up in, in the leader. Um, you know, I, I had a, I had a conversation recently that was like, you know, if I come to work in a bad mood, everyone's in a bad mood. Right. You know, um, because you're the you're, you're dad or you're the boss, it trickles down or the, the yep. boss is upset, you know, so it puts it on you. To, I'm trying to be authentic. I'm trying to be myself. I have a lot of stuff going on. I'm also the leader of this team and this family, this tribe, um, you know, putting leaving that stuff at the door, um, you know, being authentic, but but within boundaries, you know, so to speak. And um, knowing what's acceptable and what's not, you can't get upset, you know, at clients, you know, someone might be taking $10,000 from it, you know, who knows, you might have a valid reason to be upset. Um, but you can derail the whole team, uh, you know, with a little episode or, or snapping off at someone and, and then they're scared to take take chances that you know, the next time or, um, you know, it's it's so, so, so important. And, it, you know, I hope some of this stuff is in the book, because uh, <laughs> it is <laughs> this stuff doesn't get talked about enough. No, not not near enough. People okay, don't, don't understand. I want to go into um, I want to go into this test I did, you, you know, you said I might okay. be the first digital one to do it. But before we yeah. do one more shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, before we get into it, fullscale.io, helping you build a software team 
quickly and affordably. So I did the test, the CEO strength test. I was expecting a little bit to like it give me a grade. Thank you, thank you that you did not. Uh, you know, because you I'm, can't fail it. Okay, that's that's what I didn't know. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna answer these in a way that should at least get me a C. Uh, but tell me about this test and why you built it. Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge uh, for most CEOs is they don't know what the job is. Uh, you know, fundamentally, uh, you know, there haven't been a lot. When I wrote my book, I thought. Uh, I would go and find out that Harvard had a model for being CEO, Stanford had a model. Maybe I'd come in as the practical practitioner, you know, and say, oh, you academics are, are, are crazy here. Uh, but they don't, uh, because most business PhDs have never run a business of any scale and size, uh, and it's never really thought about. They have a lot of generic leadership, generic management concepts, but thinking about the role of the CEO and how it changes with the size of the organization and how it grows, uh, that really hadn't been done from a systematic perspective. So the purpose of the book was to, you know, lay that out in, in terms of a system. And so that's the same thing from the assessment perspective. Hey, are you doing these five responsibilities that I identify in the book that really the CEO has to do? There are a bunch of things the CEO can do anything he wants. Uh, obviously, but there are five things that you can't delegate that you as the CEO have to own. And we want to see if you're actually thinking about any of those and doing any of those. And so that's the kind of the basis behind the test. Where can people find the book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, okay. And uh, they can also go to joeltrammell.com if they want to uh, get a signed copy or something. Awesome. And we'll have the links in the bottom of the episode for anyone that's tuning in. Just want to give that the book a quick shout out. Okay. So um, it said my CEO strength is delivering performance. That's good. That's good. That that's good? Probably, yeah. So that's the, the, that's probably the responsibility of the five, uh, that everybody recognizes the CEOs responsible for delivering performance, right? Uh, that just kind of goes without saying now the weak CEOs, uh, on delivering performance, they're kind of like a football coach who walks in the locker room and goes, Hey guys, go win. Uh, doesn't you tell know, how doesn't tell yeah, what yeah the, the right guard's going to look at you and go, Hey coach, I hit people. I don't know how to win, but I know how to hit people who you want me to hit. And so of course, every football team on every play has very specific instructions about what everybody's going to do, uh, on every play. And so that's what, you know, is typically lacking in the week CEOs and deliver performance. Uh, yeah, they want to win. They're, they're out there going, yes, go team. Uh, but they don't have a plan that takes from a high level vision and drives it down to what an individual person in the organization needs to actually do, what authority they have, what responsibilities they have, and what are their goals or objectives on a regular basis to achieve that vision. I feel like um, if I'm being completely authentic and transparent in my business, you know, um, like I have complete transparency with my leadership team, uh, like the managers, but I wouldn't say it goes all the way down. So I had to answer those questions like neutral or couldn't strongly agree or disagree because it, they would say all in the question. You right, know, and, right. I, and I didn't have that. Um, so that's my authentic answer there. Um, you know, even around revenue, around like goals, around like um, when we're having problems in the past with finance or cash flow or we lost a bunch of clients, I let them know, hey, no, we can't lose any more clients. Make this happen. This is where we're at. You know, um, that kind of conversation hasn't happened in a while. Um, you know, knock on wood. Um, so we're in a good spot now. We haven't had to have those conversations so much. And it's more just about like where we're going. We talk about culture. We talk about, you know, who our competitors are in regards to who we're matched up against. We have a super like relaxed, laughing kind of fun culture at work. It's not uptight. You know, we've got music on sometimes things like that. Um, but I'm like, we're also competing against some of the best advertising companies in the world with some of these brands and on Amazon. And so while we're having a lot of fun, this is like fast paced. This is intense. Like I'm trying to be the best. We are the best. You guys are working at a company that you can leave and take a $40,000 pay increase. Probably the next time you leave, I want you to know that I want you to leave and, uh, you know, be professional, know how to write emails. Uh, you know, I let them know where we're going. Like, I'm like, when you leave here, I want you to be a good representation of this company, um, beyond these doors. You know, and um, so we talk a lot. We have a weekly book reading that we talk about how it relates to business. And, um, you know, I feel like we we communicate a lot about where we're going. Um, you know, maybe not all the, the problems and finances as much as like some of those goals should be the sales goals. Um, so I think there can be some stuff there. And one thing that I, I went to Babson College um, 
in Boston uh, in, in 2020 at the beginning before the pandemic. And then the second half was online, uh, a business accelerator with Goldman Sachs. And um, I was brought in there. And one of the main things I think I walked away with, we, we went through finance, we go through everything kind of there. And um, it was the KPIs, you know, and um, in the B2C world, or like product based Amazon world, e commerce world, I know the KPIs, like I know my DNA, like, you know, I just, I know everything about it. Um, I'm, I'm an expert at all things Amazon, like I, I'll stand up with anyone in a room and talk KPIs like all day. When it came to Marknology, and my managers, um, or my leaders and the people under them and having KPIs for everything we're doing, where I'm creating the structure, uh, we couldn't be further off from that, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so I kind of walked away from that, not discouraged, but a little bit like, man, like, you know, I, I'm killing it in all these areas. But like, when it comes to KPIs, there isn't anywhere I can just like, look and be like, okay, my team's overworked here, they're getting an influx of emails at a, you know, 50% more than normal, or uh, our queue for our photography queue is, is ahead or behind or on track. I don't know. I don't know if this person's overworked. I don't, you know, I don't have these KPIs per department um, that really create like almost like an ability to manage above it uh, versus being in the weeds. And so I think that would be uh, I'm jumping around a little bit, but like, you know, for me, authentically, like when I see that, it's like really around the KPIs. I feel like people know their job, but they don't necessarily know the key metrics if they're killing it or not. Yep. If that makes sense. So it's like oh, it's my, mm -hmm. first first conversation I typically have with a new manager of a department that works for me is we need to figure out what the three key metrics that are going to we're going to monitor to determine whether you're successful or not. And that conversation is hugely valuable. Uh, you know, typically they'll have one or two, I'll have one or two, we'll create one or two, whatever, we'll end up with three to five. In the old days, uh, I had them put them up on a bulletin board outside their office uh, and post those metrics so everybody could see. Because the other thing that you end up with is, again, you're going to be the only one that sees everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, other groups are only going to see what they do. And they're going to tend to, as you grow, believe, well, they must be the only one that's working because that's the only data they see. And so it's important to show them data from across the whole company. Uh, what are the you know, three things that marketing's trying to do? Okay, we're trying to generate leads. We're trying to get placements. We're trying to sell product, whatever, uh, and, and identify those and have conversations with each of your managers about what are the most important metrics, what really is success for their group. I love that. I love that. And um, I think for me, it's been like I'm creating a space that didn't exist. There isn't like a, a benchmark on how other Amazon agencies were doing it. Um, and that was some of my struggle. Like, you know, I've got someone that's doing uh, case support with Amazon. I have someone that's doing brand protection. I have someone that's doing photography. I have someone that's doing advertising. I have someone in sales. I have someone in, uh, you know, managing the Indian employees. Uh, I've got, you know, all these different people doing different jobs. Like we're an assembly line. Um, how do I compare them to each other? You know, how do I create competitive goals within the business? Um, you know, it almost seemed like every single person needs their own KPIs and that might be very well be the mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't like there's a standard, uh, mm -hmm. for this model. You know, I think if you're doing Facebook ads, it's like, okay, we've got Facebook ads. We're a Facebook ad company. Like these are the results we're trying to get. And, you know, if we're getting them with these clients, we're doing great. Um, so that's been that's been almost uh, since, you know, the beginning of 2020, I've been on a goal or on a path to just like really outline those KPIs um, kind of department by d department, um, it, it, even like creating dashboards. I guess dashboards has been like a, a really big focus of mine. And how do I create these dashboards around uh, things that no one's done before? They're, they haven't tracked before. There's nothing for me to look at that's been done before. Um, it has been has been really challenging for me. Yeah, often collecting metrics to start with is where every company has to start before you can even talk about, uh, you know, what managing matters. to the metrics. Uh, you know, if you can't collect them, it doesn't make any difference. Awesome. Um, give me give me just like a couple of thoughts around. Um, okay, you're collecting the data. You're you're doing something. You you're in design thinking. You're creating something in your business that hasn't been there before. Um, do you just kind of like create a few metrics and then see how that goes and learn from there and just keep switching them out? Is there like a methodology kind of behind some of that? Yeah, I ask why a lot. 
Uh, so I remember when I first started Black Box, uh, you know, this is a billion dollar public company, 3,300 employees, but scattered all about the world. And so I'm walking around headquarters and I see a accounting person uh, sitting in their cube and we make eye contact. And so as the new CEO, I introduce myself and I say, hey, what do you do? And she says, I write checks to pay vendors. Why? I said, I said, I don't like the fact that you write checks. That costs me money. And of course, she was a little taken aback, you know, this new CEO told her, you know, doesn't like, is he going to fire me? What's going on? I said, uh, you know, what would happen if we didn't write checks? And she said, well, you know, our vendors would probably get pretty upset at us. I said, well, I think your job's not to write checks. I think your job's to keep our vendors happy. I said, I, I, also, you may find out that some of our vendors are very cash rich and they don't mind extending our credit out 60 days. They're okay with that. Doesn't matter as long as you pay them consistently 60 days, they're happy. You may find some of our other vendors are cash poor and will give us a discount for paying in net five or net 10 terms. I said, you can save this company a lot of money by figuring out which is which and make sure both are happy. And that conversation, I think, changed that person's view of their job because mm. they view it as a, viewed it as a task-oriented job. I got these invoices, I got to pay them. Uh, to, but that has no business purpose. Okay. Mm. That's not a business purpose. Pat. That's like showing up for work. That's why I'm here. Cause you told me to show up for work. That's not a business purpose. I mm. have you show up to work to keep my vendors happy. And so me as the CEO, when I call the CEO of one of those vendors and need a favor on a project, they're going to call down to accounting and go, Hey, how do you like doing with this company? And, the, and they're going to go, Oh, you know, Susie's great. She always makes sure we get paid just the way we want to get paid. There's never any confusion. Things happen. That provides me a competitive advantage. And so that's the real, you know, you, you got to dig into why you hired those people and they need to understand uh, while there are a bunch of tasks they may do, there's typically a, a clear business value you're trying to create. And that's, of course, what you want to measure. So let's go survey all the vendors and find out how they like doing business with us. Uh, you know, there's I love your the metrics. way you frame that. I love the way you frame that. Um, that's a fantastic answer, Joel. Um, your perspective, the perspective and just getting people to understand the why behind what you're doing um, is, is awesome. And I think probably more it comes back to that communication piece and just like having more conversations like that uh, and making sure people understand why their job's important. And, um, you know, and out of that being like, OK, uh, if these are the if these are the whys, what's our KPIs around those whys? Or, you know, what's our customer satisfaction? How are our vendors doing? Are we running surveys back to them, you know, saying like, are they happy with the way we're doing things? Um, you know, kind of brings brings the next the next to do around or the next thing to do. That's awesome. Um, I, I, we I jumped off and I'm, I'm, I'm known for doing this. I jumped off of our uh, the CEO strength test and I know we're wrapping up on the hour. Um, but this test is really cool, guys. It goes, um, you know, I said uh, my strength is delivering performance. What does this mean? It says you believe in the need for creating quarterly goals and clearly communicating them to all employees. Your KPIs are visible to anyone who can impact them and you frequently utilize your board for feedback. Following competitor metrics is crucial to your strategy and success. Um, well, understanding where your strengths lie is important. Serving as a CEO is a balancing act. In addition to delivering performance, is essential to master these other key areas when leading your business. And it goes into owning the vision, building the culture, providing the proper resources, uh, making decisions with links to the blogs. Um, it's a free t it's a free test. I, I recommend anybody get in there and do it. Um, you can find it on his on his site, um, joeltrammell.com backslash assessment. Um, it was fun and uh, it made it definitely made me want to read the book. Uh, so I, I'm, I'll leave you a great review. I definitely know how to use Amazon. Uh, great. <laughs> I'm very familiar. Um, it's been a, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today, Joel, and just getting to know a little bit about your background and your and your story and um, some of the ways you framed um, um, some of your answers are just just awesome. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, it was great being with you, Andrew. Hope I helped your audience. Yeah. Is there anything you want to leave? Uh, is there anything you want to leave with our guests? Just, um, you know, to maybe some young uh, or maybe older, uh, just aspiring CEOs out there, a, a tip for the day. Yeah. So, you know, even if you took me, who's been doing this CEO gig for 30 years and put me in your business, I'm unqualified to be CEO of your business today. Uh, I think a lot of CEOs think CEOs know everything going in and have all the answers. No, I wouldn't know your customers. I wouldn't know your employees. I wouldn't know your product. Uh, so none of us are really qualified to do the job. 
get over that, deal with that and try to get better every day. That's all we can do. hundred percent. Great advice. And I'm taking that myself. Um, you know, I think that's when I was like more tactical, I've, I had a lot more confidence. I know exactly what I'm doing and I loved it. Um, you know, and as you grow into this leadership role, you're like, well, I'm not uh, an Amazon tactician anymore. Uh, you know, I'm leading high level business strategy and mergers and acquisitions and trying to think about the big picture and and speaking to CEOs that know way more than me about business in general. And I'm talking to them about one specific area. And, um, you know, it's these whole new feelings of uh, imposter syndrome and and different things like that, if you're being honest with yourself, that I wasn't feeling two years ago, you know, when I had a smaller team and different things like that. So, um, you know, it's new challenges and it's just good to hear from someone that has been doing it 30 years that, um, you know, you never just know it all, uh, you know, and you got to constantly improve and constantly grow. And um, I think that's a message for all of us. Great. Good to be with you, Andrew. Thank you, Joel. One more time, shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. We'll see you next time, Startup Hustle. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.